I'm Mark Lemke, and this is The Also Rans, episode 18, The Vice Squad. I've always wondered what might happen if we were to put old-timey presidents in a modern, contemporary kind of situation. How would they function? How would their politics change? Would they even be electable in the first place? Well, we're going to test out this fanciful idea by playing a bit of a game this episode. This is one of those shows where we're not going to focus on one particular person and run through their biography and their significance, but rather we're going to bring in a couple guests and do a a fun little collaborative activity to um, stimulate a bit of debate and kind of have some fun and imagine what it would be like if we were to indulge in an anachronism and put some old-time presidents into the 21st century and have them run for office. And one of the questions on our minds is, who would they pick as a running mate? Who would they pick out of the various politicians in office, active today? So we're going to look at 10 different presidents from the past and try and play political matchmaker, try and figure out who their most suitable running mate would be. And I've got some excellent help today in the form of the editors of the Post Rider. So we've got Lars and we've got Michael. So if you're all ready, let's bring them in. La, 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 la. And we're here with our very special guests for this episode. We have Michael Levito and Lars Emerson from the website, The Post Rider. And they've also created uh, a handful of podcasts that I've enjoyed a great deal. Uh, I very rarely binge listen to podcasts, but I couldn't help myself with some of the work they've done. Uh, One of them was called Running Mates looking at the uh, kind of post-Kennedy running mates chosen by presidential nominees, both winners and losers, looking at how the choice was made and the effect they had on the ticket, but also looking at who might have been a better running mate because some picks were kind of bad. <laughs> uh, we, we could look at Dan Quayle, for example, as as just one of many of these um, and as someone who is fascinated by the Veep stakes, uh, this was, this was like heroin for me. It was just so interesting for me. And, uh, they have done a second podcast called Floor Fight, where they pit all of the unsuccessful presidential candidates against one another in one big, massive NCAA style 64 seed bracket. And I, I loved that as well. Uh, I have to say, I do wish George McGovern had done just a little <laughs> bit better in the rankings. Um, but it was, it was a terrific listen all the way through. So, uh, Lars, Michael, welcome to the Also Rans. Thanks for having us. It is definitely my pleasure. Uh, before we go any further and begin our uh, activity for this episode, I wonder if you could each kind of introduce yourselves, just a brief little biography, 
And uh, I know that the two of you went to American University, but I know very little about you aside from that. So, uh, Michael, would you mind going first? Sure. I, I am the older one, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Lars and I, well, we, we met at American University uh, through another friend, through through my uh, roommate, Louis. Um, and then uh, after I graduated, we moved in together. Um, we were roommates for uh four years four to five four to five uh august 2016 to august 2020 yeah um and uh yeah uh, i guess we we were both political science majors um but we both had our other interests as well i also studied broadcast journalism laura studied econ um i'm not sorry i don't mean to steal your thunder lars but um but but the the sort of short uh bio on me is that yes i went to american um i kind of uh, worked in DC for a little bit in the mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit and then kind of like tech consultancy space um, before packing up in the very convenient year of 2020 to move uh, back up to the New York, New Jersey area where I'm originally from and got my master's degree in journalism from NYU. Mm-hmm. And now I'm currently a freelancer. In addition to my work at the Post Rider, I also um, do freelance writing on, on music and, and politics. A lot of my work appears on a website called The Writing, which covers right-wing media. Um, and uh, of course, I like I said, the, do a lot of work on The Post Writer and the many podcasts Lars and I have, have done together. Yes, indeed, because I know there's there's a couple besides the ones I brought up. But, um, but Lars, I wonder if you could kind of uh, fill in with your biography as well. I know it overlaps with Michael's a bit. Sure. Uh, yeah. So like Mike said, we met at American University, which is where I went to undergrad. I did study econ. Uh, you didn't take my thunder away, Mike. It's just that econ's not very exciting. <laughs> um, I, uh, After undergrad, I also worked in tech for a bit, and then I worked uh, in journalism. I worked for The Economist, which was CQ Roll Call, which was then acquired and just became CQ Roll Call by its parent company. Uh, Then I did some work in Las Vegas for a newspaper out there. Um, So I just worked in political journalism for a while. And now I'm back in DC uh, at law school. Fantastic. And I was wondering if you could explain what your site, The Post Rider, uh, is. And I I want to uh, just make my audience aware of it and recommend it. Uh, What can people expect to find at The Post Rider? A whole bunch of stuff. Um, so it's, uh, I think, kind of like these sort of like um, really nutshell versions is that it's a lot of stuff we were talking about in our apartment, but distilled onto the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, we write a lot about politics there. We have really political analysis piece. It's not reported work so much as just kind of analysis, mm-hmm. although we do do some reported work as well. And we also have uh, pop culture stuff there as well. I, I write a lot about music, a lot about film, and you can find reviews and, and other kinds of essays on there as well. And it's also home to the podcast. You mentioned, of course, Watching Mates and Floor Fight. Um, but we also, or excuse me, you mentioned Running Mates and Floor Fight. Watching Mates is the other one where we kind of looked at the uh, the post-war presidents and, and paired movies with them and their tenures and kind of talked about how they related and what they said about their presidency. And there's some other sort of pop culture podcasts on there as well. Everyone can find it if they go to thepostwriter.com. Um yeah. Anything you want to add to yeah. that, Lars? Well, I, I'd add that Michael is the editor in chief, and I'm the politics editor. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's, uh, yeah, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And I look forward to indulging in watching mates soon. Uh, and I'm intrigued by some of the pairings. I think uh, pairing Reagan with some of the Back to the Future films was a, a really smart choice, given uh, how much of the new conservatism from that era kind of hearkened back to this idealized version of the 1950s. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to dive in. So, uh, gentlemen, our task today was to consider 10 presidents I picked out beforehand and just imagine that they were brought back, resurrected into modern day America. Uh, I read a novel uh, a couple weeks ago called Taft 2012, <laughs> where um, Taft, uh, do you? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and where, where Taft is just somehow they don't really bother explaining the the whys or hows but somehow brought back into um obama era america the book was written in 2012 so it would have been the present back then and uh it's a political satire where we follow this president uh who decides to run for president again a hundred years after he lost his re-election so it's kind of that scenario these presidents are just brought back into the present day and since you're all experts at recommending running mates for people, uh, I thought that this is um, the job for the two of you. So we'll take turns for each of the 10 presidents explaining our picks for a modern day running mate for these 10 people. Uh, our 10 presidents are George Washington, William Henry Harrison, James Buchanan, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Calvin Coolidge, Harry Truman, John Kennedy, Richard Nixon, and Jimmy Carter. So we'll figure out if they were running today, who's someone in their party that they might pick uh, to run with them. And you don't necessarily have to pick someone who is in office now, just someone who is active politically. So, uh, for example, you could pick Mike Pence, say, even though he doesn't hold an office right now, but someone like Michael Dukakis is off limits because he's quite elderly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, let's start with George Washington. Generally, my, my directions to you were pick a running mate from that person's party, but there's, there's very few Federalists out there these days. And, and I suppose Washington was technically apolitical uh, or non-aligned anyway. Um, but I'm curious to see who you paired up with George Washington as kind of political sommeliers. Uh, who, who have you got for Washington? Uh, Michael, can you start us? Okay. So th this was admittedly the pick I had the most trouble with, if only because these sort of like um, weak party ties Washington had, even though, yes, he did govern like a federalist and most of his friends and allies were federalists. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned, of course, there, there are no federalists anymore. Um, but I, I was thinking, it's like, okay, we're, we're assuming Washington's plopped into modern day America. What, what are two things that are going to be very unfamiliar to him? Uh, one is the prospect of women voting, which was <laughs> not, not, not legal when, when he was um, president. Another will be the entire Western half of the country, which was not yeah. a part of the United States when he was president. And so I did um, pick someone who I think fancies themselves apolitical and who is from the West and who is also a woman. I picked Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema. Um, wow. Yeah. Bold. Perhaps. <laughs> Bold pick. Yes, that's the one pick that I let Lars in on uh, before we recorded. He had a very similar reaction. Um, my thinking here is that um, 
like I said, it gives Washington somebody who knows the entire western part of the country. She is from a mm-hmm. swing state also, of course. Um, and she knows how the modern Congress works. Now, it's debatable how many people in the modern Congress like Kirsten Cinema, given mm-hmm. her, uh, I would say, cipher-like approach to legislating. But um, I thought it'd be an interesting pairing, just an interesting bridge from, you know, a man from the late 19th century, or late 18th century, excuse me, uh, to, to modern day politics. Um, why not? Why not go full independent and, uh, and, and pick and, and go Washington cinema 2024? Sure, sure. Parties are for chumps, Lars. Can I have your reaction to that? Pick? Well, I saw you shaking your head a little bit. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I do appreciate the the consistency in picking an independent for our first mm-hmm. independent president. Like that's that is that's very that's very nice. Um, can you just imagine? Like, I'm pretty sure Kirsten Cinema is taller and in better shape than George Washington. <laughs> It'd just be a very strange sight. Um, I also, like Mike said, he let me in on this. This was the one he told me about beforehand, and I like burst out laughing because I'm imagining a world where George Washington feels threatened by the fact that he needs to be elected president in a country that like founded basically for him. And he's like, you know who I need? I need to win Arizona. <laughs> I don't know. It's a swing state, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is funny how, how the definition of the West changed because, you know, <laughs> Buffalo was the West exactly. in Washington's day. Yeah. Uh, Lars, who have you gotten? My good fellow. So I'm glad you mentioned that the definition of the West has changed because I I was looking for Washington. I was looking for like an avuncular figure. So someone mm-hmm. who's a little uh, like boisterous and from the Midwest to the West. Um, and I initially wanted to pick Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker because he is all of those things. Right. And I agree with Mike that Washington's going to need someone who kind of understands not only the modern party, but just kind of like the modern state and and Pritzker seems like an insider's insider but I decided that John Tester from Montana the senator yeah, would be a okay. better pick because he's just a little more down to earth whereas J.B. Pritzker is like a billionaire right and Washington was also like in his time of what a billionaire is now right is he's incredibly wealthy um so I think picking like a farmer from out west who just has a little more of a nuanced view on social issues could be nice for George Washington. I think they'd like get along. I see the logic of the pick. And for all we know, underneath the powdered wig, Washington may very well have had a John Tester haircut. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. They, they both strike me as guys who like chopping down wood, right? You've got the yeah, cherry sure. cherry tree story. And I know John Tester lost a couple fingers in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a sawing accident. Um, yeah. I don't know. Mine was a little more tongue in cheek than Mike's very serious Kirsten cinema. Pick. <laughs> no, I, I like that pick a lot. I, I like, I like going double farmer and, I, and I'll have, well, I won't have double farmer, but I'll have, I'll have like double frontier as, as, as we, as we get on, as we go later on. But uh, I like that pick. I, I, I guess I like it better than mine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I like both of your picks better than than mine. I'm not sure what I was thinking when I wrote this one out. Um, I figure, given that Washington's ignorant of the vast Western expanse, he would probably still view balancing the ticket as meaning picking a Northerner to balance a Southerner. Mm. And given his background, we know he's a bit... Uh, 
I don't want to say aristocratic, but 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 gentlemanly, and would pick someone similarly from a a more genteel background. So uh, I picked Joe Kennedy the third mm. as Washington's running mate, and I'm second guessing myself already, given that uh, he's most famous politically for being the first Kennedy to lose an election in Massachusetts in uh, over a generation. But uh, but I see the pick as as very Adamsy in a way. Uh, it kind of does the same thing, balancing a, uh, a Virginian farmer with a more um, urbane uh, northerner from a, a prominent family. But again, uh, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but I'm, <laughs> I don't think that was a very good pick on my part from the get-go. I appreciate the historical accuracy. It seems very in character for Washington to pick someone from the Northeast. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I it's like, it's like they say in like, uh, like in the NBA and NFL drafts, like right logic, wrong pick. Right? They say that like, <laughs> force predictions. like I know I, I like the logic and I, I do, I did kind of think cause one, one person I did think of for Washington was actually, uh, Joe Manchin who oh, interesting. Um, I think cuts more of like a blue collar image than Joe Kennedy does, which I mm-hmm. guess it's not hard to look more blue collar than Kennedy, but yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but, but it is also like a very wealthy man, um, kind of a business leader. Um, uh, but of course, much older than Joe Kennedy as well. So I don't know. I, I kind of, yeah, I, I like the, the sort of like the uh, early America ticket balancing going on mm-hmm. there. Um and uh, it, it, there is something kind of like the idea of picking a, you know, uh, member of a prominent family who only served a couple members in the House and had like a questionable, Im- questionable impact is also very like early America, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, well, I, that's, uh... that's a very generous take, maybe more generous <laughs> than I deserved. Uh, moving on to our second president, uh, he is similarly from a party that no longer exists. And that's William Henry Harrison, the luckless Whig uh, military hero who lasted only uh, 31 days in office. So um, in, in real life, of course, his uh, vice president, John Tyler, became the first person to succeed uh, a president who had died in office, the first vice president to become president on, on that office being vacant. So... Um, it's possible modern day medicine would would have been able to save Harrison. I don't quite know. Um, but uh, Lars, why don't you start us off this time? Who have you paired with William Henry Harrison? Who is with Old Tippecanoe? So I sort of went in with a uh, I, I sort of went in with the assumption that he is in fact dying almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't put a lot of thought into it other than picking Hillary Clinton so that she can finally become president. <laughs> Um, that's mostly, this is mostly a joke. My, the actual person I wrote down other than Hillary was Gretchen Whitmer. Um, I just, oh, I, yeah. I, I feel like Gretchen Whitmer would be kind of an interesting, you know, Harrison's from Ohio. So you have a bit of a regional similarity there. Uh, but I, I so I, he also strikes me as kind of a, what's the word? He's, he's kind of like a good old boy. He wants like people who mm. are like, like him. And I, sure. I think that was part of the logic behind his pick of Tyler. And I, maybe they, the Michigan and Ohio <laughs> border makes them get along a little better. Um, I I also just wanted to pick uh, a governor for him and someone who 
I mean, this is the problem, right? Is I really went into this and I wrote their names down because they both seem like very qualified people who could do the job. Mm-hmm. Because I assume he's going to die. So, so where did you ultimately land, Hillary or Whitmer? I mean, my heart says Hillary, but I, I don't want your listeners to think I'm some shill, so I'll say Whitmer. <laughs> okay, Whitmer. Uh, yeah, I mean, Whitmer is is definitely a name on a lot of people's minds as we think about uh, 2024 and beyond. Uh, she's probably not going to be the nominee this coming election if, if Biden's running again. But uh, in terms of having uh, a bright future, um, it's uh, it's her oyster. So uh, I like the pick. Uh, Michael, uh, feel free to weigh in on Lars's pick uh, if you like, or just uh, go ahead and tell us who you have. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of contrast Lars's picks and my pick. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting, right? Because... Uh, you know, William Henry Harrison, he's like, his whole thing when he was running, he was like, he was this man of the frontier, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they said he liked to sit in his log cabin and drink hard cider as opposed to Martin Van Buren, who liked to go to the opera or whatever they said he liked to do. And I think it's an interesting marriage between that image and Gretchen Whitmer, who I would not say is an aristocrat, but I feel like she is kind of in an image and in messaging, not dissimilar from what people call kind of like the wine track or yoga track voters. Which are okay. kind, which is yeah. kind of like a gendered and problematic designation, but sure. Um, but but I think it is this kind of like interesting combination of it's it's an interesting coalition of kind of like the rural and the suburban. I think in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, but I went kind of full on frontier with my picks. So, kind of similar thinking about strengths and weaknesses in modern day America. So William Henry Harrison, he does have this very compelling frontiersman image, um, and he has a very decorated military career. Uh, the problem in 2024, though, or 2023, whenever he's running, is that uh, a lot of his military triumphs come at the expense of Native Americans. Um, so he has some image rehab to do there. And I don't know how willing that this particular person would be to run on a ticket with someone like William Henry Harrison. Oh, I think I know where this is going. But this is also <laughs> someone from the frontier. Um, yeah. uh, and they are actually Democrats. So I don't know how willing Harrison would be to have them on his ticket, given that he was a Whig. But I'm going to say Alaska Congresswoman Mary Peltola. That's um, okay. I thought I thought you were going in a Deb Holland direction. But, I, uh, see, I thought about that, but then I, I I thought about it more as like Peltola. She's got the whole fish thing going for her, right? Yeah. She's got the whole Democratic NRA member thing going for her. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a really nice synergy between her and Harrison. Yeah, that's a really intriguing pick. Um, and we'd have our second Congress, uh, sorry, running mate from Alaska with that. That's 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 a very interesting pick. I, I kind of like that. Lars, what's your take I, on that? I love that one. You clearly put a lot more thought into who you'd pair with Harrison than I do. Like. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the pick too. And um, my, my pick, again, I, I don't mean to keep dismissing every pick I, I make because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy with some of the later ones. But um, this one is for silly reasons, but it made more sense the more I thought about it. Uh, I picked uh, relatively new Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. Mm. <laughs> and my initial reason was just so the ticket could be Tippecanoe and Tuberville too. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it, what's the next logical step after log cabins, hard cider? It's football, isn't it? So mm. picking someone <laughs> whose only political experience, well, it wasn't even political experience. It was coaching... Alabama football um, seemed like it would be in that kind of populist vein. And uh, in the same way that one might uh, hang out with dorks so that we can look cool, uh, 
William Henry Harrison looks like, you know, Tocqueville compared to Tuberville. I mean, he's going to look so much more uh, erudite and seasoned and experienced if, if that guy is his running mate. So uh, I, I'm going with Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. Heaven help us all if, uh, if Harrison perishes again. That's what I was going to say. I hope in your world he lives longer than 30 days. <laughs> yeah. I was also going to say that uh, Auburn is a public school, a state school. So technically Tuberville was a state employee. So, Oh uh, yeah, I guess you're right. He, I guess he, he does have some political experience other than somehow becoming Senator. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. Go from hard cider and the frontier to f- beer and football. I, th- I think that, that that's a, yeah, there, there's a certain pretzel logic if you will, to it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so we've got uh, Gretchen Whitmer and Mary Peltola. Am I have I got the last name correct? I, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Yep. And Tommy Tuberville as our three prospective running mates for our erstwhile Whig William Henry Harrison. So uh, from the uh, from a cipher to a failure, our our third pick is James Buchanan, habitually ranking at the bottom slot whenever historians convene to rank the president. Uh, can any running mate help James Buchanan? I don't know. Um, we, we had uh, a guest on several episodes ago, Tom Bolserke, uh, who did a book on uh, James Buchanan's relationship with William Rufus King. Uh, they were roommates and a lot of, and, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, shall we say, historical slash fiction about their uh, their friendship. Uh, his response was essentially that James Buchanan wasn't gay, but his boyfriend was. Uh, in other words, um, King was probably gay, as we would understand the term today, while as Buchanan was, was not. Um, but that's still one of his, uh, I guess, calling cards in terms of being interesting historically uh, today. So um, our... Worst president, arguably, James Buchanan. Um, I guess I'll go first this time. Uh, and I, I went with um, Texas congressman, f- former pro football guy, Colin Allred. Hmm. My logic was if James Buchanan is famously uh, effete, I have no idea how to pronounce things anymore, um, that it, it makes sense to have someone who projects a kind of archetypical uh, old school style of masculinity and who better than uh, a former football player turned conscientious lawyer. Uh, I love the ticket balancing. Uh, you have um, a, a Scots-Irish Buchanan with uh, someone of mixed race heritage like Allred and you're, and you have two kind of swing states with Pennsylvania and Texas. So that's my pick. Congressman Colin Allred. I like that. I actually like that a lot, uh, much oh, better you. than than what I ended up picking. Um, yeah, I don't know that Buchanan and Allred would get along very well. <laughs> you raise an excellent point. I mean, Buchanan kind of gave away the farm. <laughs> to yeah, the Confederacy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Two very different versions of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, so Michael, who have you got for your pick? So I thought I, I also had some trouble with James Buchanan. My thought was just like, how much would the liberal base, assuming we know, we know about Buchanan now that we did back then, or you know what I mean, that his <laughs> reputation is such that he's kind of the guy who 
was it was the uh the doughboy who was manipulated by the the southern democrats um when uh, when he was in office like how much would just like the democrats liberal base absolutely freak out about that right, right. um had you not have them just either stay home or defect to some other option on election day and i thought well let's just like reassure them by uh you know the backup plan is just somebody who is like um who just kind of exemplifies, I would say, modern day liberalism in a lot of ways from a state that's become synonymous with liberalism. I'm thinking of California Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, Does this does this uh, um, help Buchanan beat these sort of uh, effete elite allegations? Probably not, um, given Newsom's reputation for enjoying fine wine and fine dining. Um, But, you know, I figured that if, if Buchanan is at once kind of like a blank slate and a puppet for like nefarious interests, maybe having Newsom in, in the passenger seat would help uh, him steer Buchanan in a direction that's more palatable to the modern Democratic Party. Okay. No, I, I think that's a very well-reasoned choice. And yeah, PA, California, uh, East Coast, West Coast. Um, Lars, I'd like to hear your take and then, uh, and then your pick. I, I will say they have similar vibes. I, I, as someone just staring at James Buchanan's like <laughs> presidential portrait right now, they like, I don't know. Gavin Newsom has that. Once again, I don't know. They'd get along. Well, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> so, which brings me to my pick. I picked someone who I think he would get along with from the modern democratic party. And that is Louisiana governor, John Bell Edwards. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I just think, so Buchanan is not, uh, I guess he's not a Southerner. Uh, so I think there's some strategy to picking a Southerner there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I Let me put it this way. John Bell Edwards looks like someone James Buchanan probably likes. Uh, I'm not sure you could say the same about, well, certainly Allred and probably Newsom. Um, but I, I put a little more thought into this pick too. Uh, Bell Edwards is Catholic. And in the oh, modern yeah. day, I actually think that matters a lot more, right? Is a lot of these picks we've been going through we've kind of been ignoring um like the how it matters in the modern democratic coalition or kind of the modern party coalition how you need uh mm-hmm. a pretty heavy catholic turnout and yeah. uh i think you might have like you might have something there yeah i, I think the democratic base stays home because they're not gonna vote for james buchanan or john bell edwards but hey you can't say they didn't try Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's kind of translating Buchanan's kind of Southern conservative Democrat affinity into the modern day. Okay. So just to recap, uh, our three picks for Buchanan are Colin Allred and John Bell Edwards and Gavin Newsom of California. And with that, um, we're going to pivot to number four, our first Republican in this batch. And that is Honest Abe himself, Abraham Lincoln, from the ridiculous to the sublime. Uh, we go from our worst president to uh, the figure who is, by acclamation, um, the greatest uh, for many historians. So, Lars, who, who have you got for Abraham Lincoln's running so, mate? I mean, this is really tough in some ways with the modern Republican Party. It is. That's what I was going to say is I really struggled with a lot of these Republican picks, uh, even getting up to Nixon, who, like you said, is our last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing with Lincoln is his actual vice presidential picks aren't very good. So that kind of does open up 
<laughs> oh come on, Hannibal Hamlin kicks yeah. ass. Ah, okay, I okay. like Hannibal. <laughs> okay, I'll get, well, maybe I'll get just, into him when the, when when it comes on my turn. Yeah, yeah. maybe his second vice presidential pick. Okay, um, fair. But this kind of opened the door, and and a through line through a lot of my picks is I tried to pick people who I think these people would actually get along with, with the exception of Hillary Clinton and Whitmer and Harrison and all that. Um, so I, I don't know. I kind of felt compelled to pick, uh, former Maryland governor, Larry Hogan for Lincoln. Nice. Um, I, uh, Hogan is a moderate Lincoln is what was at the time for Republicans, very liberal. You got to find some kind of, you'd like to think they'd agree pretty much. Right. Is, uh, that seems as about as close as you can get in the modern Republican party without being like getting really out there and picking like George Bush or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think picking a governor makes sense for Lincoln. You know, he's, he's someone who comes into office uh, as kind of like a national figure. And I think he wants, I think he'd want to prioritize uh, kind of state level issues or more domestic level mm-hmm. issues. Um, yeah. I don't know. It is. That was a hard one. And I like the pick um, for a number of reasons, but one of them is how paramount keeping Maryland in the fold was for Lincoln. So I, I could yeah. see uh, him transliterating that into into seeing someone like Hogan as as a, a particularly good pick. If, if you lose Maryland, you, you've lost the union. Right. It makes a little more sense if you assume a second civil war happens and Lincoln is president again. <laughs> we, we, we may no longer have to assume that, depending on what happens. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's 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 good. Uh, I, I like that pick. I kind of went in a similar vein in picking a fairly moderate Republican with with a strong potential for national unity. Uh, I, I ended up picking someone a bit further west, uh, and that's Brian Sandoval. Uh, the former uh, governor of Nevada. Um, Even as a a staunch McGovernite, uh, I just walked away with a a lot of respect for the fellow following politics over the years. Uh, Always sensible, um, without really giving Rhino vibes per se, he he was still willing to take a pragmatic approach on the issues. Um, He he is one of the more anti-Trump voices in the party against insurrection. Um, and I think if any early president would have been okay picking a Hispanic running mate, it would have been Lincoln. It would have been. So uh, I went with Nevada governor uh, up until about four or five years ago, Ryan Sandoval. I like that pick. That's a great pick. There, there, there are some people down the list who I wish I had picked him for in hindsight. Yes, me Um, too. I did a very bad job of picking people who aren't currently in office. Um, But well, it's tough because those are the people whose names we come across every day, especially if you're you're enmeshed in in current events. But uh, I'm curious, Michael, who did you end up picking for Mr. Lincoln's running mate? So Lincoln's first vice president, Hamill Hamlin, was of course from the great state of Maine. Yes, a great um, state indeed. And, uh, well, before I get into Maine, what I'll say is that the thing we forget about Abraham Lincoln a lot was that he was a one-term congressman, right? He did not right. have a lot of federal experience. And you think about the ways that, you know, the federal government has changed and expanded since Lincoln's day. I think he would need somebody with a lot of experience in it, not just in 
the Senate or Congress, I should say itself, but also in kind of like the the wider bureaucracy on both mm-hmm. the state and federal level. So I chose uh, another Mainer, uh, Republican Senator Susan Collins, mm. um, you know, has the kind of reputation as a moderate that has obviously been, I would say, damaged in recent years because of uh, her role in confirming a bunch of conservative justices to the Supreme Court who would overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, but I, I think she is kind of perhaps moderate enough for Lincoln's tastes, but also conservative enough to appease the Republican base and help Lincoln actually win an election. Um, and she's just been in the Senate for a really long time, probably longer than she was expecting to be, or at least longer than she said she would be. Um, and also has just had like a lot of experience at the state level and kind of operating various kind of like government and quasi-government organizations outside of elected office as well. So, uh, yeah, Lincoln Collins 2024. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a nice pick, Michael. And, uh, he, yeah, she does essentially what Hamlin does, uh, for Lincoln in 1860, just kind of balancing out this kind of unknown frontiersman with someone who was much more of a known entity. And yeah, so, um, uh, I, I like the pick a lot, Lars. I I like it too. I I I don't like Susan Collins though. <laughs> I, I just feel like I just feel like um, you make a, you do make a good point about how Lincoln's federal experience is a little overstated, and I I guess my pick kind of went contrary to that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm lukewarm on it. <laughs> That's okay, but uh, but we all three of us picked people from, um, I guess the more, uh, if not moderate, let's say reasonable wing of of uh, or pragmatic wing of the Republican Party. So for those of you keeping score at home, and by the way, those of you listening, uh, we invite you to uh, weigh in. Uh, which for each of these picks, whose did you like the best, or do you have an idea that you think is better than ours? So for Lincoln. Uh, our three running mate choices uh, were Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, Nevada Governor, former Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval, and Maine Senator Susan Collins. So our our next one, number five, is also a Republican and another Republican who might not feel entirely at home uh, in today's party. And indeed, uh, almost all of our presidents that we're covering are uh, anachronistic uh, to some degree or other, and that is Theodore Roosevelt. So, um, Michael, can you get us started this time? Who who did you pick for Teddy? Yeah, so really interesting um, picking for him, especially just because progressive Republican has become an oxymoron in mm. 2023. Um, and I went with a really interesting pick that I'm sure Lars will have a lot to say about just because he's more familiar with this figure given uh, where he's lived in the past. But um, I went with Nevada Governor Joe Lombardo. Um, Interesting. And I went with him for a couple of reasons. One is that um, we've kind of talked about this in the past, Lars, but he's a little bit more moderate than he comes off. Um, His kind of like big achievement thus far, he's he's only been governor for uh, a few months now. Mm-hmm. Um, he was elected in 2022 has been just like actually like really just turning the money faucet on for, for K to 12 education in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the big thing to me is that one, he has a vested interest in a lot of Roosevelt's conservationist um, 
goals just because Nevada mm-hmm. relies so heavily on tourism and not yeah. just the Las Vegas Strip, but also, you know, a lot of the, uh, um, you know, natural beauty of the state. And then also, you know, ha- having, I would say, like a former sheriff, he was sheriff of Clark County, just kind of adds to this kind of like this this muscular image, I think, to, to Roosevelt, right? You know, if you, if yeah, you yeah. think Roosevelt's super aggressive, then you have kind of a law and order guy paired with him to, to make him look a little bit more serious for some people. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, but both kind of enmeshed in, in uh, the strenuous life. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, our second Nevada <laughs> governor. They're okay. That, that is, that's a strange one. I mean, when I, so when I think of Theodore Roosevelt, I think of like environmentalism. I'm, I'm not sure Lombardo's record on that is as, I think they would have severe policy differences. Yeah. This would be a lot easier if, if we could, you know, maybe resurrect some Republicans from like the sixties or seventies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, uh, I, he's still alive, but, uh, Daniel Evans, who's, who's approaching a hundred, the, the governor of Washington, uh, would have been a good choice for, for Theodore Roosevelt if he were not that old, just because of the, uh, the flashes of progressivism, the environmental chops, Mark Hatfield would have been kind of in that vein too. Uh, Mm. but given who we're stuck picking, I I can, I can see your logic there, Michael. Uh, Lars, who have you got for Teddy? Okay. I cheated a little on Teddy (laughs) and I, I, I can come up with some backups if I'm not allowed to do this. But sticking with the Republican Party, I picked former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, because, yes, I realize he's ineligible because he was not born in the United States and all that. And you can disqualify me for it if you'd like. But Roosevelt is very much a larger than life figure, as Mm. is Schwarzenegger, right? You want, I think Michael was onto something with like, you want like a boisterous, like, I don't know, someone who can kind of like, just like pack a little bit of punch on that ticket. Um, Schwarzenegger is also a like pretty green friend, like not maybe not so much as governor, but especially now he's a very like climate friendly governor. Um, And I like the idea of the regional, uh, you know, California is becoming like a big deal in Roosevelt's era. And it's Mm -hmm. the most important state now. And there's like a nice bridge there. Yeah. And and how... How interesting is it that the two blue states with the biggest electoral vote uh, bounty would be on, on this Republican ticket? Yeah. I mean, as you say, Arnold would not be allowed to take the oath of office <laughs> and he would not be in the line of succession. Yeah, um, I cheated. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, if if the Speaker of the House is from your party, maybe, and, and, and you're okay with that happening... <laughs> Uh, as a fallback, you know, sure. I, 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 the constitution is written to be broken, right? So if, um, if he's not allowed, my pick was actually Susan Collins. I just didn't want to be boring. uh, (laughs) I get what you're saying. So, uh, so we have Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, (laughs) former California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger for Theodore Roosevelt. We have Joe, uh, Lombardo, the governor of Nevada, uh, my pick is uh, a lot more boring, I guess, than either of yours. Uh, so when I thought of Roosevelt, I thought, you know, in, in real life, Roosevelt didn't get to pick his running mate. But if, if he could have, he would have picked Taft, right? Um, mm. And I thought, what, what does Taft bring to the equation? This kind of even-tempered judicial mindset, 
uh, this kind of reasonableness, this avuncularness, this ability to, you can delegate something to him and he'll take care of it. So I tried to think of kind of the modern-ish Republican equivalent of that. Uh, and I landed on Rob Portman, the former mm-hmm. um, senator from Ohio up until recently. And I mean, he was uh, OMB director under George W. Bush. So he has that uh, level of handling tough jobs within an administration. Uh, and he would do wonderfully in debates uh, when, whenever, I think at least a few times when um, the Republican candidate is preparing for the debates, Rob Portman would take the role of Obama or uh, John Kerry or something like that. Uh, whenever John McCain or, or Mitt Romney or someone like that was trying to do debate prep. Um, and of course, he's from a, a quintessential uh, swing state of Ohio, although it's a lot less swingy now. So that's where I landed. Uh, former Ohio Senator Rob Portman. I like that pick because I think we tend to forget how um, much the Republican establishment did not like Theodore Roosevelt because <laughs> yeah. he was he was not boring and he was, you know, very much the, the bully pulpit guy and um, was really boisterous and stuff. So pairing him with the sort of like, you know, more sober minded Rob Portman. Um, you said boring, but I would say effectively boring, I guess. Rob yeah, you, you kind of need some boring to balance out, Teddy. I think. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, so those are our three picks, Rob Portman and Joe Lombardo and uh, Arnold. So uh, boring. Uh, all right. Uh, so next we have our... Uh, third Republican in a row, we have Silent Cal, Calvin Coolidge, uh, still very much um, a hero to modern day Republicans in some ways, although he's not the most contemporary figure I've picked. He is the least anachronistic. That is to say, I would have the easiest time translating him into the modern Republican Party. Um, so um, I- I'll go first this time. And I, I-, I did the least creative pick possible. I I picked Marco Rubio just Mm. on the grounds that regional balance, New England with Florida, and with Coolidge's famously laconic uh, demeanor, you would need someone who's a bit more media friendly, who's better at turning a soundbite, who understands the modern game, and whose personality could make up for Coolidge's uh, profound, profound uh, deficiencies in that area. So that's who I'm sticking with, uh, Florida Senator Marco Rubio. You have a very generous read of Marco Rubio's uh, presence and ability to reply to people. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, uh, I, I remember now that that awful performance in that one debate where he just yeah. kept repeating the same phrase and Chris Christie kept yeah. yeah. I was thinking uh, the same thing, but as, yeah, as Lars, but go on. Sorry. That, that, that's okay. Uh, Lars, do you want to say who uh, who your pick is? Sure. Uh, so for Calvin Coolidge, I went with my my hardest friendship pick I could find. So of course, Coolidge, you know, he ran on fiscal conservatism, which is very much at home in the platform of the modern Republican Party. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, you know, Coolidge was also, he was a little, uh, he was a little ahead of his time on something, right? He... Mm-hmm. He supported women's suffrage. Um, there was like a lot of stuff happening in the country in the 1920s. There's uh, there's prohibition. 
there's uh, women getting the right to vote. Um, and there's a kind of government corruption just that's percolated to the surface. Mm-hmm. So I picked Calvin Coolidge, the man who I think would be his best friend if he were alive today. And that is Utah Senator Mitt Romney. um there's so the logic so there's the regional logic right coolidge is from Mm -hmm. the east and mitt romney is from utah but he was also from massachusetts as was coolidge uh romney has a background and when he ran for president he ran on fiscal conservatism Mm -hmm. um and he is certainly a moderate republican so he would fit in with kind of Coolidge's idea of the Republican Party. Um, I also think the prohibition issue is something. So Coolidge was like kind of secretly opposed to prohibition. He just didn't Hmm. uh, want to uh, make it a huge issue. So he just kind of like let it simmer. Um, Picking Romney's definitely a prohibitionist. Right. So picking a a Mormon (laughs) who doesn't drink, like maybe it adds a little... uh, like sincerity to this, this quiet rumbling, you know, prohibition is new yeah. at this point. And I think there are questions about whether the Republican party is going to get on board and uh, all of that. And I think maybe picking uh, Mitt Romney kind of helps quell that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we assume people think Calvin Coolidge is, uh, if people think prohibition is going to come back or something in the 19, <laughs> in the new twenties, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So there you go. All right. That, that, that makes a certain amount of, of a uh, sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. A ticket where Romney is the more talkative and charismatic guy. Well, and there's like, Romney is just like a handsome kind of like f- more fun figure. And, yeah. and I think Coolidge is like, I'd almost want to flip them. Right. Is I'd almost want Coolidge to be Romney's running mate. But, yeah. Uh, and that, that would probably be a more compelling ticket. I was yeah. like, that's a very, thoughts? that's a very Mitt Romney Paul Ryan dynamic, but it is, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, who have you got? Uh, so, we've got Marco Rubio, and we have Mitt Romney. So two heavy hitters. Uh, who have you got? Yeah, so you know, you both kind of went with establishment decorum. I would say in both those picks, right? At least relative mm-hmm. to the to the modern Republican Party. But I think it's time to get a little nuts. So <laughs> I um, so I. As one of the things I write a lot about it is is conservative and right wing media, right? Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, this this phrase "zombie Reaganism" became very popular with some on the right, specifically kind of like the American conservative, like the magazine American conservative crowd, mm-hmm. um, and this idea that <clears throat> you know this very sort of like uh, laissez faire market market focused idea of governing had is is no longer sufficient for the modern day, and we need kind of like a more populist. Um, a little more interventionist conservatism to take its place. And I can see it now, the headlines of Coolidge receives a Republican nomination from this sort of growing influential base of the Republican Party. So who better to pair with Silent Cal than somebody who's never been shy about speaking to the media, about writing down their thoughts, if you will, than Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Sort of like the populist conservative du jour, you know, um, somebody who... Uh, is, is kind of like, you know, a man of Appalachia, whereas Coolidge yeah. is, is, you know, sort of this, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I don't know that he was very wealthy Coolidge, but he was from New England. 
Um, uh, yeah, but, he, but he's from Vermont, and Vermont is like the the hillbillies of New England. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you have this kind of, you know, this Coolidge who seems really just wants to kind of run the most sort of like efficient and austere government possible, whereas Vance, he's, he's ready to take the big swings about drug mm-hmm. smuggling, about law enforcement, um, you know, about immigration, you know, and, and I guess aid to Ukraine in some ways, you know, just these really bold positions that, that Coolidge, um, if he even wants to speak to the media, will, will not be willing to take. Mm-hmm. So you have this blend of these sort of what's become the traditional republicanism of the laissez-faire sort of fiscal conservatism yeah. and a more populist kind of firebrand stuff with fans. Brilliant. Weird. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Coolidge Vance would be such an interesting pairing to watch. And and yeah, this kind of fiscal conservatism versus um, something a bit more populist in character is uh, is a really intriguing pick. So yeah, we've both picked sitting senators for Coolidge's running mate. We have Marco Rubio, we have uh, Mitt Romney, and we have J.D. Vance. <laughs> what a trio. <laughs> Some of those are definitely like the others. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're switching parties now, and uh, we've got a Democrat again, and we have uh, Harry S. Truman. So you bring back Harry, um, put him in the modern day, and who on earth would you would you? put with Harry Truman. Uh, I have a pick, but I'm second guessing it. So I'm going to let the two of you go first. Uh, Michael, can you, can you give us a running mate for give him hell, Harry? Sure. Yeah. So I was thinking about Harry Truman and, you know, he's got a lot of things I think working in his favor in the modern day, obviously, you know, desegregating the military was a huge thing. um, And and certainly no small thing for a Democrat from Missouri to do in uh, when, when he did it, when he was in office. Um, but I was thinking, you know, he, he is a man of the machine, right? He's the senator from Pendergast, I believe they called yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think you, you want to contrast him with a bit more of an independent voice, somebody who's a little less kind of establishment, feels a little more kind of um, organic and authentic. So I thought of Maryland Governor Wes Moore. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Who was just elected in 2022 and notably did, does not have any prior government experience. You know, he's a philanthropist. He's a businessman. He's an author as well. He's a military veteran. And, you know, kind of being able to have Truman make good on his sort of, you know, um, what was for his time, like very progressive policies on race uh, in his presidency or at least, you know, part part, part of his presidency um, and make good on that by by having an African-American running mate, um, I think, would uh, do well for him. Uh, yeah. And and Truman, despite some personal racist baggage he has nonetheless had a strong civil rights record he, he desegregated the military so there is a kind of a, a nice logic to that and wes moore is certainly one of the new figures on the political scene that i'm most intrigued by he he is certainly very green <laughs> and yes <laughs> i i think that is a good thing in truman's favor um so my pick for truman I, I also thought Truman's biggest liability was his uh, his <laughs> the rumors about Truman and uh, his ties to some unsavory characters in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So I decided to literally walk him across the river and grab Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> uh, she strikes me as someone who is incredibly uh, just 
clean and uh, seems to know how to run like a compelling state government, despite, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, Republican majorities in the legislature. Uh, she just, you know, she wins elections in a red state. Uh, yeah. And Truman would need to do that because the South he knew is no longer the South mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we have now. And yeah, he needs someone who is clean. I think he needs someone who's not federal. I agree with you, Mike, there. And Laura Kelly is certainly not federal. She's just a governor and she was in the state legislature before that. Um, but the thing, I, I agree that uh, you, you gave a lot of weight to kind of Truman's role in desegregation and the racial strife at the time. The thing that I think... Uh, I would want to see him apply in the modern day was actually like his fair deal idea that kind of just like Mm. never really panned out. Yeah. And like a big part of that was, you know, all Americans should have health insurance and that the minimum Mm -hmm. wage should be increased. It was, it was all these things that like the modern democratic party like stands for and has kind of struggled to actually like seriously get going. Um, But, you know, Laura Kelly is someone who's very attached to, Medicaid expansion and uh, trying to pursue these policies uh, in a red state. And I I think kind of like following through on that fair deal would be an interesting uh, Mm -hmm. way to pair them to. Great. Yeah. I I, I like that pick uh, a lot. Mike, your thoughts. Yeah, no, I I also really like it. You know, if, you know, she's so skilled in dealing with a Republican legislature, perhaps the do nothing Congress under Truman would become the do something (laughs) Congress. Um, No, I, I, I like that pick. There, there's a certain kind of like um, American Gothic image, I would say, with like yeah, Truman yeah. and, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and, sure. and Kelly, right? Um, there's something very kind of like down home about them, I guess. And, and I like mm-hmm. that. There, there's, there's, it's kind of, it's, it's something very comforting, right? It's the comfort food of tickets in a way. Yes. Yeah. I also just like the idea of having a campaign event like across the Mississippi River. <laughs> It'd just be kind of fun. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. Okay, um, so for my pick, I've been bandying about variations on a theme because um, I, I looked at the 1948 electoral map and I'm seeing something that doesn't really look like the modern day electoral map. Uh, I'm seeing Thomas Dewey doing wonderfully in the Northeast. Uh, Dewey carries New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, um, most of New England. Uh, whereas whereas Truman does wonderfully in the South, which is maybe not as easy to do today as as Lars points out, um, and he does wonderfully in the uh, the kind of Mountain West. So I'm trying to think. This is one of the rare cases where picking an elite Northeasterner is the <laughs> smartest thing you can do to provide balance for the ticket. And while you've been talking, I was looking at my original pick, which I, I think is uh, not a great choice. And thinking of other people kind of in that vein. I, I agree that balancing a machine guy, senator like Truman with someone who isn't in Washington is a wise choice. Uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna go uh, a little unexpected. I'm not going to pick a governor like the two of you did. I'm going to pick a mayor. Uh, and that is Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. Oh, wow. Mm. As Truman's running mate. So... Uh, we're, we're, we're going East Coast, we're going urban, we're going um, someone who can rally and support kind of college voters, whereas Truman can handle kind of, uh, you know, uh, 
I guess, uh, organized labor and, you know, what would have been the traditional democratic constituencies in, in, in the 40s and 50s. So uh, someone who's very then paired with someone who's very now. I like that, especially because, you know, Michelle Wu was succeeding um, as like, you know, a, a progressive Asian American woman in a city that I feel like is very much defined by kind of like machine politics and like yeah. the really one like kind of it feels like the last places where like these sort of like democratic white ethnic vote really matters um, mm-hmm. still. And so there's there's I think I said a nice there's a nice kind of like complementary I think mix between someone who's very new, but clearly was able to appeal to um, a, a population that, that in some ways reflects Truman's democratic party um, mm-hmm. more so than, than many of the other sort of uh, Amer- major democratic American cities would now. Uh, yeah. Thank Thank you for that. Sorry, Lars. <laughs> no, I, I actually think this might be my favorite pairing so far. Like the more I think wow. about it, it just makes, I, it just makes so much sense, right? I like what you said, where Truman is maybe the one guy where you'd want kind of a uh, <laughs> a New Englander, and you've picked like the least corrupt seeming and least out of touch seeming New Englander. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, you have all that. You have all the same, uh, you know, kind of economic things that Truman was hitting on seventy years mm-hmm. too early with her. Uh, and I just like the idea of picking Truman a mayor. That seems, if I was going to pick a mayor as a running mate for president, Truman's the one. Yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, all three of us, again, picked someone outside of Washington. Uh, so for those of you keeping track at home, we have Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. We have Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. And we have Maryland Governor Wes Moore. And we go ahead in time about um, 10 years or so, and we have John F. Kennedy. So uh, this is one of those times in real life, one of those relatively rare occasions where picking the running mate really did matter and probably did swing the election. Uh, And that was Kennedy's pick, of course, of Lyndon Johnson picking this um, experienced rough and tumble um, Protestant (laughs) Southerner to balance the urbane, sophisticated, educated uh, Catholic John Kennedy. So we move Kennedy into the modern day era and um, there aren't too many people like Lyndon Johnson in American politics anymore. And what we would need to balance the ticket to be successful has changed as well. So Lars, can you tell us who have you So for Mr. Kennedy? A brief story. <laughs> My first thing that jumped to mind was like, I should obviously pick Joe Biden because he's kind of like the modern day Lyndon Johnson. He's just like <laughs> older and more mature and kind of this creature of Congress. But then I went the complete opposite direction and I actually settled on North Carolina governor uh, Roy Cooper, who is one of my wow, favorite people in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've listened to any podcast Mike and I have ever done, his name is invoked frequently. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you kind of hit, uh, hinted at why he's Protestant. I think that mm-hmm. I, that still matters to people. I mean, we talked about that uh, with the James Buchanan, John Bell Edwards pick. I, I just think like balancing the ticket um, ideologically and religiously does matter the same way you balance it regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, he And it is regional. I think Kennedy made a smart move when he picked someone from the South because he is from the Northeast. And the modern Texas 
seems to be North Carolina, right? It is a state that is achievable for Democrats, and Roy Cooper mm -hmm. shows that it is achievable uh, by a moderate Democrat. And I think John Kennedy would, I, I think he'd kind of be a Joe Biden type, where you'd see him running as a moderate and govern like more to the left. Uh, I think that would just like mesh really well with Roy Cooper's kind of, I'm just going to run to be like a good governor and then have good policies. Uh, yeah. 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 And it's a shame that Roy Cooper is stuck with one of the worst state legislatures in, uh, yeah. <laughs> in the country sometimes. And um, if, if anything happens to Kennedy a couple years in office, we've got a solid hand sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> True. No, I, I like Roy Cooper. Um, I, I kind of went in a different direction, but I, I, I think that's a very, very sensible pick. I agree. Yeah, I, the North Carolina as as you know the Texas of nineteen sixty is very interesting to me. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good parallel. Yeah. Um, I, I also picked a Southerner, but I went in a very different direction in logic, uh, just on the grounds that the kind of people approximating Lyndon Johnson aren't really manifold in the democratic party today are not really part of the coalition in the same way so i figure let's let's do new new south let's do uh someone from a newly minted blue state mm. uh let's balance a catholic with a very protestant figure let's balance a serial philanderer with someone with a great deal of moral authority let's balance john kennedy with raphael bornock so it's not a perfect um, parallel to Lyndon Johnson for a number of ways. Uh, for one, Kennedy would be the more experienced person on that ticket in terms of politics. But in terms of putting together a winning coalition, uh, Kennedy can get those kind of latte liberals, but Warnock will obviously help with African-American voters, but uh, religious voters more generally, who the Democrats tend to... Um, I guess, have trouble communicating with. And this is an, uh, a matter of some importance uh, to me. I mean, I wrote a book on how George McGovern helped create the modern day Christian left and Warnock is nothing if not the, the uh, manifestation of the modern day uh, religious left in America. I really like that. Um, but I, I like both of your picks a little better than mine. But no, I, I like that in some ways, and this is maybe like too kind of crude and obvious a comparison. It's almost like the Kennedy Martin Luther King Jr. ticket we never got in a lot of ways. I know, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And that works as as our listeners may know. Warnock uh, was, and I believe still is, the um, pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, Martin Luther King's old um, pulpit. Uh, Michael, who have you got? So I, it's funny, I didn't, I didn't think South at all. What I thought, so, you know, I was kind of earlier talking about weaknesses when we were talking about like Washington and Harris and all of that. And I thought like just a big, big weakness for Kennedy is going to be all the rumors swirling around his, his treatment of women, um, mm. you know, his, like, as you mentioned, his philandering. Um, so I went with Mich someone who's, who's already been named, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, um, mm. Because I, I think I think it actually is it would be important to have um, a woman on a ticket with Kennedy just to kind of hopefully try to neutralize his reputation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know she it's you know Michigan is is a swing state maybe like bluish purple more than like pure purple, but mm -hmm. I, I think that the kind of coalition she has to cater to in Michigan 
and one in which he was able to rebuild the Democratic Party, right? I mean, they, they control mm-hmm. both chambers of the state legislature. Yeah, what she did was amazing in Michigan. Right. And, and, and the way she was able to balance, I would see, you know, kind of like the large suburban population in Michigan combined with, you know, kind of like the urban centers like Detroit. And of course, the big union um, presence there of, you know, uh, UAW and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um while also giving what I think is kind of this very modern image of the Democratic Party. And we've talked about probably somebody who's a rising star, you know, may very well likely run for president in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and has been able to kind of, you know, get through very progressive abortion legislation. Um, actually, I think had probably arguably the most successful kind of like, because if, if I don't remember correctly, she actively repealed a lot of that banned or severely limited abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, I would say the most successful abortion rights advocate in the post-Roe era, arguably. Yeah. Um, I think that would help balance out kind of the uh, um, Kennedy's sort of like less uh, savory um, attributes, I guess. <laughs> well, I think that's that's a terrific pick. Whitmer has shown up, uh, as you say before, uh, in this episode, but that doesn't mean your pick is any less uh, well thought out. I think Whitmer would be a great choice and, and balancing Kennedy with a, a Midwestern governor who's a woman. I, I will cede her to you. I think she's a much better pick for Kennedy than for William Henry Harris. <laughs> um, I, I like both of your picks. Well, thank you. And, and yeah, for uh, just to wrap up our treatment of John Kennedy, we have North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. We have Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock. And we wrapped it up with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So uh, now, now we arrive at, at Tricky. We, we've got Richard Nixon. Um, and another figure who, despite being closer to our own era, is still kind of difficult to translate into the modern Republican Party. So uh, if, if no one minds, I'll just go first, because when I thought of this person, I thought, yeah, I've got to include him. So Richard Nixon, he hates the press. Uh, He famously tells a group of journalists after he loses the California governor's race, you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. He uh, he loves uh, misusing his powers as president to harass the media. And he has a long enemies list. Um, I think Nixon would be practically soulmates with someone like Montana governor, Greg Gianforte. (laughs) (laughs) Because what is Nixon's fever dream? It's body slamming a reporter and getting away with it. Uh, and, and yeah, maybe maybe regionally it doesn't make sense to pair California with uh, the Mountain West like Montana. Uh, but if we look at how it worked in real life, uh, Nixon picked an odious governor who was halfway through his first term in, in 1968, Spiro Agnew. Um, and, and John Forte is really the... Uh, the equivalent of that. So that that's my pick. Montana Governor Greg John Forte. I like that. That's funny. <laughs> um, Michael, can you can you tell us who your pick is? Yeah. So I went. So it's funny. I, I was thinking when I was making this pick, just you know Nixon's Southern strategy and how, on the one hand, it's irrelevant today, just because the Southeast is such a a a, um, a you know, such a solid kind of base for the Republican Party now, but also mm-hmm. it's because of his Southern strategy, partly that it, it is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I figured he, he'd probably want to build off of that a little bit. I think he'd want to cement his reputation 
But I also think that, you know, he, he might be thinking in terms of handing off to new generation. You know, I do think he saw a kindred spirit in Spiro Agu and also somebody to eventually hand the keys to. Unfortunately, they were mm-hmm. more similar than I think both of them realized, uh, <laughs> given their resignations. Um, and, you know, I, I think he does, you, you know, he's, he's the big law and order president, right? But, but I think he would, he, would, he would not want to be tagged that way now because it's become such a trope. And I think we maybe want to find ways to soften that image. So I actually want South Carolina Senator Tim Scott um, Interesting. The only black Republican senator currently in office, someone who it seems yeah. is very likely going to be running for president this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tim Scott has actually worked on criminal justice reform issues. He, he has basically said, you know, to liberals who are critical of him, like, who, like, which Republican would you rather have working on criminal justice issues than a black man from South Carolina? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it's, it's a nice kind of like, uh, you know, a, a past torching moment. Nixon to Scott, kind of, you know, the old guard of Nixon with uh, the, the relatively younger Scott. I think Nixon would like the idea of, of having, um, you know, a, being able to kind of like come off as somewhat progressive on his ticket as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think Scott is a very kind of um, sellable senator. I think, I, think, I think in a lot of ways he is what many Republicans, especially those who are kind of like, are still conservative, but don't love the way the direction that the party has gone. I think in a lot of ways, Tim Scott is what they wish the Republican party was like now. Yeah. Um, there's a certain aspirational quality. Yes. To that pick, mm-hmm. which, yeah, uh, I, I think that's a, a very canny choice, Michael. And yeah, I could easily see Nixon picking Tim Scott for those reasons. And, and yeah, I mean, given that it's fairly obvious now that the term law and order has a racial component, Picking someone like Tim Scott would would be uh, very, uh, very, very canny strategically. Uh, Lars, how about you? I, I thought that pick was so great that I also made that pick for Richard <laughs> Nixon. Uh, I was really convinced you were about to say Mickey Haley for a second. Uh, but no, we unfortunately both picked, or fortunately, we both picked Tim Scott. Well, that's I, great. I'm surprised I, it took us this long to have uh, two people independently pick the same person. But can you walk into uh, walk us through your thought process on this, Lars? So I I agree with everything Mike said. Of course, Mike's very smart. Um, (laughs) uh, The the Southern strategy, uh, I I think Nixon would have. I I see Nixon as Trump-ish, but not in policy. And that is, uh, I think Trump would be wise to pick someone like Tim Scott on a ticket. Uh, And like Tim Scott is like the compassionate conservative choice and right. Nixon is not compassionate conservatism. He's, uh, <laughs> he's a little mean, you know, he's a little, yeah. uh, he's a little tricky and he Rain needs moderation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think you need kind of someone who can kind of assure people, Hey, the Nixon that was just reincarnated in 2024, he's not going to be like a problem. <laughs> And Tim yeah, Scott, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting major kind of Futurama vibes yeah, yeah. From, from this scenario. <laughs> yeah. So good pick, Mike. But I I picked him too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so we only have two picks this time, and uh, Michael and Lars both picked South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, whereas I went with Montana Governor Greg John Forte. So our final figure today is uh, a man who is still with us, just barely, uh, and that is our 39th president. Jimmy Carter. Um, 
And looking at the 1976 election map, it is bonkers. Carter carries the entire South except Virginia, ironically, the safest Southern state for Democrats today. Uh, Ford picks up fairly liberal states even back then, like like Connecticut and... um, and uh, the entire West Coast. Uh, so Carter's going to be a little bit tricky. But uh, yeah, and, and uh, so assuming you get the 1976 version of Jimmy Carter uh, running today, who does he pick for his running mate? I have my pick and I, I'm, I'm kind of pleased with it. But um, uh, would either of you like to go first? I, I keep giving directions, but if you want to pick... <laughs> I'll hop in because it's not exciting, but it hits on something you mentioned. You mentioned Jimmy Carter wins uh, every state in the South except Virginia, uh, which led me down a rabbit hole that uh, concluded in the most obvious pick imaginable for Jimmy Carter. So as you may know, Jimmy Carter, you know, he was elected as an outsider and that proved to be a bit of a problem in his presidency. He was not very good in maintaining relations throughout the federal administration uh, nor with Congress, nor uh, with the Democratic Party, right? There was a lot of infighting between Carter mm-hmm. and just Democrats generally. Uh, so that said, <laughs> uh, a couple elections ago, the Democratic nominee for president picked a party insider as her running mate. She picked Tim Kaine in 2016, mm. which uh, I don't think that pick, and we've talked about this at length over on our podcast, that pick is not like the problem in that election, but it was kind of like Hillary Clinton was not viewed <laughs> as like an outsider. And she picked literally the guy who led the Democratic Party and a uh, just like a very DC figure as any Virginia senator would be to be her running mate. That pick makes so much more sense for Jimmy Carter. I think Tim Kaine yeah. would be an excellent running mate for Jimmy Carter. He's got kind of this, this liaison between Congress uh, and the White House that you'd want. Everyone seems to like him. Like he's just like a very uh, well liked guy in Washington. And uh, yeah, you let Carter carry the whole South if he wins Virginia. That's kind of fun. Yeah. That is kind of fun. And and let me just say, uh, I like that pick a great deal. Partly because I I really like Tim Kaine. Just like his whole suburban dad vibe you know, uh, is, is just really appealing to me. I mean, I think we lost a potentially great vice president when when Hillary lost in, in not having Tim Kaine in that role. And I mean, it says a lot about him. He's the only kind of also vice, as I call them, losing vice presidential candidate who, who never really entertained presidential ambitions of his own. Um, and whereas you look at Edwards running or Lieberman running and, Mm -hmm. and so on. So, Um, uh, I, I, I am there for that pick. Uh, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, but I'm sure Michael also has picked someone, uh, equally compelling. Who have you got? Yeah. Well, I'll say two things about Tim Kaine real quick is one, I like how you did technically pick another Minnesotan for Carter to run with because yes, you know, <laughs> Tim Kaine, although he was governor now senator from Virginia, grew up in Minnesota. And also I think they get along if only because they're actually both very religious people, Tim Kaine. Yeah. yeah. Um, worked with Jesuit missionaries in the 80s. Yeah, and, and very service-oriented in their religious practice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, when I was thinking about who I was going to pick, one of the things I thought about Carter was that, you know, um, he's something that you don't see a lot now in sort of 
uh, high-profile Democratic politics, at least, which is that he is an evangelical Christian, right? Yeah. Um, the idea of an evangelical Christian being the standard bearer for the Democratic Party is a little alien to us now. Um, as you mentioned, Lars, he's also very much a moderate. And so I thought, you know, are there going to be some members of more liberal members of the Democratic base who will be uncomfortable with picking um, an evangelical Christian? Um, and also maybe we want someone from a swing state and maybe someone who's a little more progressive than the 76 version of Carter. So that's why I went with Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin. Um, I believe the first openly lesbian woman to be elected to both the house and the Senate. And also, um, you know, progressive, you know, she, uh, I believe supports Medicare for all, or at least maybe not by that exact phrase, but supports like a very Mm -hmm. overarching universal healthcare system, very progressive on a lot of issues, but I think is obviously able to appeal to a purple state like Wisconsin, which also is the benefit of being a swing state. And uh, I think that formula could play well in other swing states, particularly in the Midwest for her. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, and, and again, very well reasoned. Uh, Baldwin would immediately alleviate any problems Carter would have with the, the modern day Democratic base. Uh, for, for my own pick, um, this is really unoriginal. I basically picked, well, I thought Carter-Mondale was a terrific pairing in 1976. Mondale was just what Carter needed. Uh, I would personally pick Mondale as perhaps our, our best vice president in terms of what he did in the office and how he transformed that office. Um, whereas Carter was, uh, as we've said, an outsider. Mondale was just enough of an insider to smooth over a lot of the rough edges between Carter and Congress. He had the foreign policy chops. He had the uh, more familiarity with urban America. Uh, Mondale was a great fit. So therefore, it makes sense. It would be fitting if we were to pick one of Walter Mondale's prodigies to be <laughs> Jimmy Carter's running mate. And that would be Amy Klobuchar, uh, Minnesota senator. Um, uh, just as kind of a... Um, a nod to all the great things Mondale brought. And Klobuchar would, would have a lot of those same strengths, a very respected legislator. Uh, she's perhaps not as much in her party's liberal wing as maybe Mondale was in 76. Um, but in terms of being capable of governing, you can just give Klobuchar a profile as vice president and she'll take care of it. Um, you don't have to worry about drama. You don't, I mean, she may throw some binders at some interns, but, but that's, that's going to be uh, the worst of it. So uh, Amy Klobuchar was my pick. That makes sense. I, I like it. I like, uh, she's no nonsense. And I, I feel like uh, there was just a lot of unease about what Carter could be. Yeah, yeah, a kind of an unknown quality, and that that hurt him in the end, right? Where we were, his massive lead going into the election kind of ebbs away yeah. um, towards Ford as voters kind of got, oh, this guy's a bit of a weirdo. What's the deal with the, <laughs> the kind of Playboy interview thing, lust in my heart? Yeah. Um, and yeah, Klobuchar is a very steady presence in contrast to that. Yeah, I like it too. Great. Well, thank you. So uh, just to sum up, uh, for Jimmy Carter, our prospective running mates were Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota, fellow Midwestern Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, and a senator from Virginia, although born in Minnesota, Tim Kaine. And that wraps up our 10 uh, presidents and their running mates. So if you've been listening, let us know. Uh, which picks you agreed with, and if you have some picks that you believe would work 
better. Um, so before I let Lars and Michael go, uh, I, I want to do running mates for uh, 2024. I wonder if at this early stage, uh, assuming that it, Donald Trump wins the nomination, which isn't for certain, but that's kind of, to me, the way it looks at this particular moment in time in, in May 2023. <laughs> um, who do you think Trump might pick? for his running mate at this point, or who should he pick as his running mate uh, at this particular moment in time? Because he's certainly not going to be picking Mike Pence again. No, he definitely won't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's funny because Mike and I co-wrote a piece the day before uh, Trump left office about this exact subject that has aged medium. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I think we kind of broke it down into... uh, you know, some, some tiers of people he might pick. Um, I, I am inclined to say that Nikki Haley or Tim Scott are probably his best picks for the reasons, uh, unpacked during our our Nixon, uh, why, why we both liked Tim Scott for Nixon. Um, that is my first instinct, but we don't have a tracker up for this coming cycle yet. And I don't know yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Lars. I, I think that those are they're the odds on favorites. I would say Tim Scott, in my mind at least, is probably the favorite at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I think he's absolutely gonna try and balance the ticket with either a woman or, you know, someone who's not white. Um I the other name I'd throw in there, just because I think that depending on how things play out, because we really don't know what's going to happen between now and then, mm-hmm. what kind of legal tr- pr- trouble Trump will be in, what other kinds of things he might say or do. I think like a, a fairly safe kind of like second or third option for him would be Christy Nome. I was um, just about to suggest Christy Nome. Yeah. South Dakota governor. Yeah. Just because, you know, what, you know, um, it would, it would put a woman on the ticket and she's someone who's really kind of cozies up to Trump a lot while he was in office. Um, there were rumors or, or reporting that when he visited South Dakota on the 4th of July one year that she had like kind of created a, some kind of image where it's, it's not more <laughs> but with Trump's face on it as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that if, if something happens, if it's, if something, if he becomes so toxic somehow that Haley or Scott or somebody else like that won't want to run on the ticket with him, I think no one would be more than willing to do so. Yeah. I mean, you always kind of roll the dice when you pick someone from the hinterland who doesn't really have uh, a national <laughs> profile, uh, as John McCain found out uh, to his detriment. So mm-hmm. it's possible someone like Noam would, would maybe not translate well to uh, a larger, broader environment, but uh, but but Noam Noam is onto something, and and Haley and Scott have both borderline crossed Trump at different points, and if he's keeping score as he is wont to do, that might that might uh, hurt them. Lars, yeah. I'm sorry, so, I cut no, you off, man. No, no, no. I, someone I I wouldn't sleep on because yeah, like you said, he is certainly keeping score, and Haley and Scott are both running against him. I think and. Part of our thing in running mates was always like, who should they have picked? It's not who they're going to pick. So I think Haley and Scott are both very obvious. Like Trump should pick them. That seems like a good Mm -hmm. balancing act. I would not sleep on uh, Josh Hawley, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. Uh, Oh, wow. I really, he is not running for president this cycle. I think that caught a lot of people off guard and Mm -hmm. he has not crossed Trump and he has been just pretty... uh, He's just kind of towed the line there. And I, 
I don't know. I wouldn't sleep on that one. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it would be bonkers, but completely in line with how the last six or seven years ago, uh, years have gone to have someone who kind of, you know, cheered on right January 6th rioters end up on a national ticket. So um, that's where we are in life. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll see. We've got, oh God, um, a we'll, year and a half more of this until this election is over. <laughs> we'll know in about a year and three months who Trump has picked. Yep. A mere 15 months. What's that? <laughs> so, uh, well, that kind of wraps things up. Uh, let me thank you both Lars and Michael for being on this podcast and uh, again to uh, to recommend the post rider and your uh, sundry podcasts to our listeners because there's a lot of overlap if you like the kind of stuff i do you will certainly like the stuff they do appreciate it thanks so much for having us yes thank you all right well uh we'll sign off for now and uh until next time hey this is mark and thank you for listening to another episode of the Also Rants. We'd like to thank once more Michael and Lars for being on this episode and helping us find the right match for these presidents as they run for office in the 21st century. If you like our podcast, let me encourage you to follow us on Facebook or to follow our Instagram account. For Elon Musk-related reasons, we are no longer on Twitter. If you'd like to send me an email, please go ahead and send it to alsoranpod at gmail.com. We look forward to you listening to our next episode. And as always, dear friends, if you must lose, lose big. <laughs>